Next Chapter Podcast. Hey, fans of In the Cards, this is Michael Goodfriend, head of scripted fiction at Next Chapter Podcasts. If you like this series, I bet you'll have fun hearing some of the cast and other roles they've performed on other podcasts. Stephen Boyer, who is so perfect as Lex in In the Cards, is just as brilliant in a completely different type of role in another Next Chapter podcast series, Henry V. Take a listen and hear if you can pick out Steve as Pistol. And if you pay really close attention, you just might catch his unmistakable voice in one or two other cameos as well. Enjoy. Next Chapter Podcasts presents the Play On Podcast series, Henry V, Episode 1, Balls. For the best listening experience, be sure to use headphones or earbuds. And don't forget, St. Crispin's Day. Oh, for a muse of fire that would ascend the brightest heaven of invention. A kingdom for a stage, princes to act, and monarchs to behold the swelling scene. Then could our Harry appear as he was in history, like a god of war, commanding Famine, sword, and fire like wolves ready to slaughter. But pardon, gentles all, the flat unraised spirits that have dared on this unworthy scaffold to bring forth so great an object. Can this playhouse hold the vasty fields of France? Or may we cram upon this wooden stage the very crowns that did affright the air at Agincourt? Oh, pardon, since we so few in figure hope to represent more than a million, let us, though insignificant to this great account, on your imagination's work, suppose within the girdle of these walls are now contained two mighty monarchies face to face, upreared in battle stances divided by a perilous narrow ocean. Complete our imperfections with your thoughts. Into a thousand parts divide each man and give us what power you can conjure. Think when we talk of horses that you see them, printing their proud hoofs in the receiving earth. For tis your thoughts that now must crown our kings. Carry them here and there, jumping o'er times, turning the accomplishment of many years into an hourglass. For such a purpose, admit me, chorus, to this history, who, prologue-like, your humble patience pray, gently to hear, kindly to judge, our play. My lord, this is the same proposal which was tried in the eleventh year of the last king's reign and would have passed against us if not for the turbulence of the times which delayed it from consideration. My lord Archbishop of Canterbury, how then shall we defeat such a bill now? 
It must be thought on. If it pass against us, the church will lose half of our possession. This would drink deep. It would drink the cup and all. How to prevent it? The king is reasonable and full of grace. And a true lover of the Holy Church. His actions as a youth promised it not. The breath no sooner left his father's body before all his wild ways seemed to vanish and die too. Yea, at that very moment consideration like an angel came and whipped the offending sinner out of him, leaving his body as a paradise, occupied only by holy spirits. Never was such a sudden scholar made. Never came reformation in a flood with such a heady current, sweeping out every fault and selfish, stubborn defect, so suddenly it all at once as it did in this king. We are blessed in the change. Listen to him reason in divinity, and you will quietly yearn that this king had been made a bishop instead. Hear him debate about national affairs, and you shall think it's always been his study. Listen as he speaks of war, and you'll hear a fearful battle rendered in music. Bring up any matter of policy, and the Gordian knot he will unloose as easy as his garter. When he speaks, even the air, free as a libertine, will stop sudden. The ears of men do stand in muted wonder to savor his sweet and honeyed sentences. There is such art and technique entwined in the poetic articulation of all his ideas. Tis a wonder how his grace did glean it, since his addiction was to vain pursuits. His friends were unlearned, rude, and shallow, his hours filled up with riots, orgies, sports, and worse with no sense of any study, any contemplation, or retirement from open haunts and notoriety. Strawberry grows underneath the nettle, and wholesome berries thrive and ripen best, neighbored by fruit of baser quality. And so the prince concealed his contemplation under the veil of wildness, which no doubt grew like the summer grass fastest by night, unseen yet ripening in potency. Indeed, this must be so, for miracles no longer exist in this world. We live in times of reason now. But, my good lord, how now, for mitigation of this bill urged by the commons, does his majesty incline to it or no? He seems conflicted, or rather did lean more towards our side than favoring those who work against us. For I made an offer to his majesty upon our last meeting of the bishops. Should he take action on our proposal concerning the royal kingdom of France, we are prepared to give a greater sum to the king than the clergy ever did give to any of his predecessors. How did this offer seem received, my lord? With good acceptance of his majesty. But there was not enough time to hear all, as I believe his grace would have wanted of the various ancient statutes which may entitle him to certain dukedoms, and indeed the very throne of France derived from his great-grandfather Edward III. What was the impediment that broke this off? Upon that instant, the French ambassador craved audience, and the hour I think has come to give him hearing is at four o'clock. It is. Then let's go in now to know his message, which I'm sure I could guess the content of before the Frenchmen speak a word of it. I'll follow you, for I long to hear it. Where's the Archbishop of Canterbury? 
Not here in presence, your majesty. Send for him, good Uncle Exeter. Shall we call in the ambassador, my liege? Not yet, my cousin. Before we hear him, we should be resolved of some things of weight that task our thoughts concerning us in France. God and his angels guard your sacred throne and make you long become it. Sure, we thank you. My learned lord, we pray you to proceed and justly and religiously unfold why the Salic law that they have in France either should or should not prevent our claim. And God forbid, my dear and faithful Lord, you must not temper, manipulate, or exaggerate your reading, must not let your conscience paint with colors untrue. For God doth know how many healthy souls will shed their blood based solely upon what your reverence may incite us here to do. Therefore, take heed of how you might move us, how you awake our sleeping sword of war. We charge you in the name of God, take heed. Whenever France and England disagree, much blood is shed. Should any drop of it be innocent, it will cry in woe and curse whoever uses false evidence to give edge to swords that make such waste of our brief mortality. Consider this and speak, my lord, for we will hear, note, and believe that what you speak now has conscience as clearly washed as the newly baptized. Then hear me, gracious sovereign, and you peers that owe yourselves your lives and services to this imperial throne. There is no bar to make against your highness claim to France, but this which they present from Pharamond, in terum salicam mulieris ne succidant. In Salic land, women have no successors, which Salic land the French unjustly claim to mean the realm of France, and Pharamond the founder of this law and female ban. Yet their own authors faithfully affirm that the land Salic is in Germany, between the rivers of Sala and Elbe, where Charles the Great, having subdued the Saxons, stayed behind and settled certain French who held in disdain the German women for their loose moral tendencies. Mm. Well. Mm -hmm. So then the French did establish this law, to wit, no female shall hold inheritance rights in Salic land, which Salic, as I said, twixt Elbe and Sala, is now today in Germany called Meisen. So it appears... This Salic law was not devised for the realm of France, nor did France possess Salic until uh, 421 years after the death of King Pharamond, who randomly thought the founder of this law died in the year of our Lord 426. And Charles the Great did not subdue the Saxons or settle the French beyond the river Sala till the year 805. Also, French historians agree that King Pepin, who deposed King Childric, was descended of Blithield, who was eldest daughter to King Clothair, did claim the full title and crown of France. So did Hugh Capet, who usurped the crown of Charles, the Duke of Lorraine, sole male heir of the true line and stock of Charles the Great so as to assert the validity of his lineage, though in pure truth t'was corrupt and not, he conveyed himself as the heir to Lady Lingar, daughter to Charlemagne, who was the son of Louis the Emperor, and Louis was the son of Charles the Great. 
One more, King Louis X, who was heir to the usurper Capet, could not in good conscience dare wear the crown of France till he was satisfied that his grandmother, Queen Isabel, was in fact descended from Lady Ermengarde, daughter to Charles, the foresaid Duke of Lorraine, by which marriage the line of Charles the Great was reunited to the crown of France. So... It is as clear as the summer sun. King Pepin's title and Hugh Capet's claim, King Louis's satisfaction, all appear to hold in right and title from the female. So does the King of France upon this day. Howbeit, they would claim this Salic law should bar your highness inheriting from the female and attempt to entangle your rights rather than admit the crooked nature of their own claims to the throne, which they usurp from you and your forebears. May I with right and conscience make this claim? The sin upon my head, dread sovereign, for in the book of Numbers is it writ, when the man dies, let the inheritance descend unto the daughter. Gracious Lord, stand for your own. Unfurl your bloody flag. Look back unto your mighty ancestors. Go, my dread Lord, to your great-grandsire's tomb. His crown is yours. Invoke his warlike spirit and your great-uncle's Edward the Black Prince. Awake remembrance of these valiant dead, and with your mighty arm restage their feats. You are their heir. You sit upon their throne. Their blood and courage and glory runs in your veins, too. You, my most powerful liege, are in the very prime of your youth and ripe to fulfill such mighty adventure. Your brother kings and monarchs of the earth do all expect that you should rouse yourself, as did the former lions of your blood. They know your grace hath cause and means and might. Your highness knows it, too. No king of England had nobles richer and more loyal subjects. Their bodies wait in England, but their hearts do lie pavilion in the fields of France. Oh, let their bodies follow, my dear liege, with blood and sword and fire to win your right. In aid whereof we of the Holy Church will raise your highness such a mighty sum as never before did the clergy provide to any of your ancestors. We must not only arm to invade the French, but lay down our proportions to defend against the Scot, who will descend on us with all advantages. Your northern armies, gracious sovereign, shall be a wall sufficient to defend our inland from the pilfering borderers. We do not mean the petty thieves only, but fear a full invasion from the Scot, who hath been an unpredictable neighbor. You should recall that my great-grandfather never went with his forces into France without these Scots on his unfurnished kingdom pouring in like the tide into a breach. We have locks that can safeguard our treasures and pretty traps to catch the petty thieves. While our armored hand doth fight abroad, our careful head can well defend the home, for governments are sectioned into parts. Some high, some lower, lower, but together they converge into a full and natural close like music. This is why heaven divides the state of man into diverse functions. We are all thrust into constant motion, but always toward one fixed absolute obedience. Consider the honeybees, creatures who by rule of nature bring rigid order to a peopled kingdom. They have a king and officers of sorts, 
Some, like magistrates, do work at home. Others, like merchants, venture trade abroad. Others, like soldiers, armed with their stings, sack and pillage the summer's flower beds. With merry march, they bring their booty home to the royal tent of their emperor, who, busied in his majesty, surveys the singing masons building roofs of gold, the common citizens kneading up the honey. The poor transporters with heavy cargo crowding into the kingdom's narrow gate. The sad-eyed judge with his surly humming, sentencing every lazy, yawning drone to their execution. From this, I know many things may work in contrary ways, but still combine to serve one single aim. Like many arrows shot from different spots can find the same target. Like many roads can meet in one town. Like many fresh streams can meet in one salt sea. Mm -hmm. Like many hands can find the central point upon a clock. So may a thousand actions, once afoot, end in one purpose and lead perfectly to good success. Therefore, to France, my liege, divide your happy England into four, take with you but one quarter into France, and you shall make the continent shake with thrice such powers left at home. If we cannot defend our own doors from the dog, then shame upon our name as a nation of might and political reasoning. Call in the messenger sent from the Dauphin. Now are we well resolved. And with God's help and yours, the noble sinews of our power, France will be ours. We'll bend it to our awe or break it all to pieces. Either we rule in large and full authority over France and all her almost kingly dukedoms, or we lay these bones in an unworthy urn, tombless, with no remembrance over them. Either our history shall with full throat speak loudly of our acts, or else our grave shall have a tongueless mouth without honor of even temporary epitaph. Now are we well prepared to know the pleasure of our fair cousin, Dauphin? For we hear your greeting is from him, not from the king. May it please your majesty to permit us to convey the full message in our charge, or shall we describe with diplomacy the Dauphin's meaning in sending us here? We are no tyrant, but a Christian king. We do control our emotions just as we would control a wretched prisoner. Therefore, with frank and with uncurbed plainness, tell us the Dauphin's mind. Thus then, in few, your highness did lately present to France a claim on certain dukedoms in the name of your great predecessor, King Edward III. In answer of this claim, the prince our master says that you savor too much of your youth and bids you be advised. There's naught in France that you can win with a childish dance. You cannot revel into dukedoms there. Ugh. He therefore sends you this ton of treasure appropriate to your character, and desires you let the dukedoms that you claim hear no more of you. This the Dauphin speaks. What treasure, uncle? Tennis balls, my liege. We are glad the Dauphin is so pleasant with us. 
his presence and your pains we thank you for. When we have struck our rackets to these balls, we will in France, by God's grace, play a set shall strike his father's crown into the hazard. Tell him he hath made a match with such a wrangler that all the courts of France will be disturbed with volleys. And we understand him well, how he comes o'er us with our wilder days, not measuring what use we made of them. We never valued this poor throne of England, and therefore did give ourselves permission to be barbarous. And so, yea, I did live. Men are often merry away from home. But tell the Dauphin, I will keep my state, be like a king, and raise my flag of greatness when I do rouse me in my throne of France. For that I once deferred my majesty and plotted like a man for working days. But I will rise there with so full a glory that I will dazzle all the eyes of France. Yea, strike the Dauphin blind to look on us. So tell the pleasant prince this mock of his has turned his balls to gunstones, and his soul shall stand sore charged for the wasteful vengeance that shall fly with them. For many a thousand widows shall this his mock mock out of their dear husbands, mock mothers from their sons, mock castles down. And some are yet unbegotten and unborn that shall have cause to curse the Dauphin's scorn. But this lies all within the will of God to whom I do appeal, and in whose name tell you, the Dauphin, I am coming on to venge me as I may and to put forth my rightful hand in this most holy cause. So get you hence in peace, and tell the Dauphin his jest will savor not but shallow wit, when thousands weep more than did laugh at it. Convey them with safe conduct, fare you well. This was a merry message. We hope to make the sender blush at it. Therefore, my lords, omit no happy hour that may give furtherance to our expedition, for we have now no thought in us but France. Save those to God who sails ahead of us. Therefore, let our proportions for these wars be soon collected and all things thought upon that may with reasonable swiftness add more feathers to our wings. For God before will chide this Dauphin at his father's door. Therefore let every man now task his thought that this fair action may with strength be brought. Play on podcast series, Henry V, was translated into modern English verse by Lloyd Soh and directed by Krista Williams. The cast is as follows. Bobby Moreno as Henry V. Brad Bellamy as Fluellen. Paco Tolson as Dolphin and others. Nikki Masood as Catherine, Boy and others. Steve Boyer as Pistol. Colleen Worthman as Exeter and others. Jeff Beale as Constable and others.
Brittany K. Allen as Gower and others, Andy Lucien as Bardolph and others, Socorro Santiago as Hostess and others, Jordan Barbour as the King of France and others, Lloyd Saw as the Chorus and Williams. Casting by the Telsey office, Karen Castle, CSA, and Ada Karamanian. Voice and text coach, Julie Foe. Episode scripts were adapted and produced by Catherine Eaton. Original music composition, sound design, and mix by Shane Reddick. Sound engineering by Sadaharu Yagi. Mix engineer and dialogue editor, Larry Walsh and Robert McNabb. Podcast mastering by Greg Cortez at New Monkey Studio. Coordinating producer, Transcend Streaming, Kira Bowie and Liana Keyes. Script supervisor, Jordan Moore. Managing producer, Robert Capadona. Executive producer, Michael Goodfriend. The senior manager of business operations and partnerships at Next Chapter Podcasts is Sally Cade Holmes. The play on podcast series Henry V is produced by Next Chapter Podcasts and is made possible by the generous support of the Hits Foundation. Visit ncpodcasts.com for more about the play on podcast series. Visit playonshakespeare.org for more about Play on Shakespeare. Hear more about the Play on Shakespeare podcast series by listening to bonus content at ncpodcasts.com, where you'll find interviews with the artists, producers, and engineers who brought it all to life. And don't forget, St. Crispin's Day. Hey, Play On Podcast listeners. I want you to be a part of the cast. Become a supporting cast member with Play On Podcasts for just $5 a month. Get in-depth interviews featuring some of the most brilliant artists working today. I talk to actors, playwrights, directors, and producers from the worlds of theater and Hollywood, pulling back the curtain on why they got into their profession, why these stories are so relevant today and providing context on the process of making these plays in the podcast format. You'll enjoy ad-free episodes of the Play On podcast series, and maybe even a gift or two. Head over to playonpodcasts.com, click Supporting Cast, and join the club today. We so love creating this content for you, And we hope you'll support us so we can bring you inside this rejuvenated, reimagined Shakespearean world. Join the cast, supporting cast. Go to ncpodcasts.com. Got 10 minutes? Countdown to Blast Off with host Bethany Van Delft every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Get ready for a bite-sized podcast for kids and their adults that explains what's going on in the world. It'll bring you the context that all kids and their adults need to know about events, sports, science, gaming, pop culture, entertainment, and more. 
awesome guests like Lego Masters Judge Amy Corbett, Dr. Anthony Fauci, and the voice of Pokemon's Ash Ketchum are guaranteed to swing by. Make the 10 News part of your family routine to connect, explore, and learn something new. And look out for the 10 News Road Trip remixes every Thursday this summer, which explore the topics you care about most. Listen to the 10 News on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next Chapter Podcasts.